Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. Our first podcast was nearly two months ago, and since we started, we've had an impressive selection of intriguing guests and plenty of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Plantholt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or an HBO series. Yet when you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another terrific show today with today's featured guest, Jesse Lund, Global Head of Blockchain Solutions at IBM. But before we begin, I want to welcome a new Life's Tough sponsor, Cloud Ivis, the People's Cloud. CloudIvis.com is the platform that enables you to own the cloud and sell off your idle resources through our unique blockchain marketplace, exchange, and community portal. Start your free trial today by visiting www.cloudivus.com. Life's tough, but the cloud doesn't have to be. Now let's introduce Jesse. Jesse Lund is Vice President for Blockchain and Digital Currencies at IBM. Since January 2017, he's been the global head of blockchain at IBM, working to advance the commercialization of a distributed ledger technology to promote social good and transform the world. Prior to that, Jesse served on the executive steering committee at R3, an industry-wide collaborative for blockchain technology, where he represented the interests of Wells Fargo. His affiliation with Wells Fargo also included tenure as head of its innovation labs, a unit that developed advances in a range of technology areas, including blockchain banking, digital currencies, cross-border payments, and cybersecurity. After graduating from Pepperdine University with a degree in finance, Jesse went on to earn an MBA in marketing from the Pepperdine Graduate School of Business. He also has a master's degree in theology and Essex from Fuller Theological University in California. Let's bring him on now, Jesse Lund. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Glad to have you with us. I'm doing, I'm doing great. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for having me. You got it. So you're based in California, I believe? I am. Sunny Southern California is, is where I am today and where I hail from, yeah. That's great. Well, we're looking forward to conversation. So a lot's been going on uh, in the market these past days. So uh, I was able to ask the Reddit community uh, a number of questions, uh, things that they wanted to ask you. So with that, let's talk about IBM Blockchain. Why was it created? And can you give us a little bit of a timeline of when you got involved and, and where it is today? Yeah, well, I, um, I think um, I got involved, uh, as you uh, noted, um, you know, about two and a half years ago with IBM. But my my involvement with blockchain goes further back uh, than that to maybe 2013, 2014, when uh, at Wells Fargo we were doing an analysis for um, the Capital Markets Group on uh, this this new uh, thing called Bitcoin. Um, and uh, Capital Markets wanted to was a Bitcoin that. on 60 so Minutes last night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's be, it's become a, a you know a household. Uh, word and so that that's how I got involved and kind of how I fell in love with the underlying technology of Bitcoin, of course, which is blockchain. And and then uh, IBM picked it up and and saw it uh, rightfully so as a, a transformational technology um, that could really change the way um, you know businesses interact and transact with each other. And of course, that speaks directly to the. Um, the core competency of, you know, IBM over the last, you know, 100 plus years. I mean, that's yeah. what IBM does is helps its clients, you know, optimize business processes and, and, you know, business transactions. And so this idea of being able to create new business networks and then the process maybe even reinvent itself a little bit at the same time, IBM you know, sees itself as um, the, having the ability to convene new types of transactional business networks and that's why it was that's why it was created and that's why uh that's why i'm here now that's fascinating so what is blockchain i had uh gerald levin who's the head writer for our show uh, he's been struggling the past few days because he's of a generation he's 62 years old where he wasn't familiar with cryptocurrencies he's heard about it but he hasn't really dug in what is blockchain well, I mean, there, there's a lot of ways to explain blockchain from, you know, a, a very simple sense to, you know, very detailed, uh, 
complex and, and technical uh, descriptions and discussions. I think to start at a high level, you know, um, blockchain is the convergence of, you know, distributed computing, um, distributed storage, um, this idea of, of consensus, which helps to drive trust among, you know, distributed parties, um, and then encryption. So non-trivial technologies come together in this, you know, um, this composition of of stuff that we call blockchain, which then serves as the underpinning for, um, uh, you know, transactional networks and distributed ledgers on which cryptocurrencies are built. And so the best way I can describe it is a new type of uh, distributed computing uh, model that provides the ability um, to do things that we couldn't do before, the most notable of which is um, to convert monetary value in, uh, into uh, electricity or to use electricity to store monetary value, which I think is a, you know, one of the interesting use cases for yeah, blockchain. Yeah, that, that, that's a really interesting uh, kind of jump into um, the advantages that you've been finding. Do, do you see that everywhere you turn or each new day kind of brings a, a new utility aspect where you go, boy, I didn't think about that, or that's a really good way to look at it? Yeah, and, and I think that you have to add some level of you know, practicality to it because um, Bitcoin um, or, or blockchain really can be, um, I think, wrongly perceived. You know, that slip you did for all. You yeah, know. you did. You did the Bitcoin yeah, slip. I do it too. Right. Like well, cryptocurrency, like, Bitcoin. It's it seems like it all gets boxed up into one. Well, I, I usually I usually don't, but we were talking about Bitcoin. But you know, I mean, we have to be fair. I mean, blockchain. Um, belongs to Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that is blockchain is, is terminology that comes out of the Bitcoin primer. And so I always try and lend, you know, um, respect for that or credence to that because that's sort of where it all started, but it has, you know, it's gone much beyond that uh, today. But yeah, th there's, there's a whole bunch of use cases. There's a whole bunch of assertions of how um, blockchain is going to transform, you know, all sorts of different industries. And I do think it has the potential to do that in the in the long term. Um, but I also think that there are starting points. Um, there's you know practical uses today, um, you know, and it's not a panacea for all things, certainly. Yeah. Now, I know there's a lot of rumors in the world going around about who founded blockchain, the, the actual creator. Do you think it's an American? <laughs> I wow. I I have no idea. So who is a Satoshi, right? Yeah. Uh, I, what do you think? You I think honestly it's a have no idea. I, you know, the, the only in this day and age of of uh, uh, of self-promoting, I got to think um, he, he's no longer alive. Otherwise, he would have come. I forward. mean, you would so think you that can, somebody would have to brag saying, well, guys, look, I'm kind of a, I did this. Uh, it would be too hard not to. I, I, to I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Or maybe, you know, just the uh, um, the, the pseudonym has become so legendary that no one's going to believe. You know, no one's going to believe the person, whoever they are, anyway. But at this yeah, point, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, it, it doesn't matter. They, that whoever they were, or or he or she was, they've started. You know, a a, a new um, a technical and social and philosophical movement that um, that's just a snowball rolling downhill. Yeah, and that's with that website that came out recently, and everyone kind of assumed and thought it, it probably wasn't, but this person would have probably have come forward. So looking at IBM and where you're headed, uh, can you talk about maybe the global payment system? How is it designed right now? If my, my wife is from Sweden, for her to send a payment from here to Sweden, there's a lot of fees. Well, are there still going to be fees if I want to transfer money, let's say, through IBM's uh, WorldWire platform, through my bank or through whatever relationships working through? Well, um, you know, wherever there's utility, you know, there has to, you know, there has to be fees. I mean, if, if, if there are computers that are, you know, running on a network that, you know, that cost electricity, I mean, someone has to absorb that cost. But, I, you know, when it comes to, and this is one of those use cases that, that we consider you know, low-hanging fruit, this area of, of cross-border payments, because there's so many intermediaries involved in moving money, right? And the, mm -hmm. the whole, the whole uh, art and science of the way that money moves internationally and the way currency gets exchanged for other currencies in the process is really a very arcane system that involves so many intermediaries um, that there really is a lot of room for efficiency. Uh, and so uh, will, it, will it eventually be free? 
Um, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe it could be, uh, but I think there's, you know, there's, there's several orders of magnitude of, uh, elimination of what we call friction, right? Which is the Mm -hmm. time and the cost and the complexity that, that is involved in, in sending money internationally that, um, that, that improvement alone will be a, a quantum step forward, um, in both the user experience and the cost that will, you know, kind of open up financial services and, and access to, to money, um, to the rest of the world, right? And almost mm-hmm. a third of the world is, is, uh, uh, is really excluded from that today. Yeah. So when we talk about custodians, you know, where the world of right now, my money is in a bank. And now for cryptocurrency, there's, there's different ways to store it either through cold or, or through hot or one of the exchanges. Uh, do you see a time where now the, the banks will be custodians of, of crypto? And if so, when do you think we should start to see that? Is that within the next five years, the next two years? When do you see the banks jumping in? Well, I see um, some of the, the the larger you know custody banks um, in the world already talking about it. So I think um, yeah, yeah, you can't you can't ignore it. While while banks and cryptocurrencies have tended to be um, distant from each other for a number you know a number of reasons, I think ultimately the economics of you know how to how to you know manage or custody these assets, and that's what they really are is alternative kinds of assets. Um, yeah, the, the banks are are going to get involved in. It. I mean, think about it; they're already the custodians of our money. They're also the custodians of something that's even more important than money these days, which is our you know personal information. Um, and so, why wouldn't they be you know eventually the custodians of of digital assets as this whole, you know, tokenized economy thing emerges. So yeah, I, uh, I think it's a great business opportunity for them. And I'm already hearing some of them, you know, talk about it. Uh, you know, I love Jesse is that the, the way that us speculators that I read 30 minutes a night, I get excited to read blogs by Hordor on the ripple world. I, I read things that you've placed or you've put out in your podcasts or, or different shows you've been on overall. The community seems to support the community that it's not a ripple versus IBM or IBM versus Hedera, that there seems to be this cross-pollination. Do you find that in the San Francisco scene, in the tech community, that it is very playful and friendly, or is it more cutthroat than any of us really know? Well, I think I think amongst at this stage, amongst the um, the direct participants in this, those those of us who are trying to to build and evolve this capability, there is a lot of cross pollination and, and collaboration and a spirit of, of community and teaming. Obviously, there's this overriding, you know, commercial model that we're all, you know, be, beholden to. Um, yeah. But really, I mean, you know, you can see that even in some of the rivalries and let's face it, you know, um, rivalries, you know, create um, good, uh, good content. Uh, mm-hmm. But but in reality, what we're all trying to do is is improve, you know, kind of our our social interaction. And so the evolution of, you know, the information uh, age and the age of the internet and, um, you know, breaking down walls that, um, that would hold back the flow of information is just being now extended to, to, you know, money and, and to, and to value. And so, yeah, I, I do think the community tends to, to work together. Now there's people who get excited about, you know, like, like we have our favorite, uh, uh, you know, baseball teams or football teams, you know, our favorite sports teams. And we kind of, we, we give each other uh, a hard time and we trash yeah. talk, but at the end of the day, we're all enthusiasts of the same sport. I mean, I think that's the best analogy. Yeah, that's to a good, it. you know, I, I know that uh, I remember being young and asking people, did, you know, do you have $50 or do you have a hundred dollars? My son, uh, eight years old, we, we went away this weekend for my little one. She's six for her birthday to the great wolf lodge. I'd recommend it to anybody, uh, in the Poconos. And on the way, my son asked me when I went, oh, the market's up. I wonder what happened. Did uh, somebody place an order? Or my son goes, hey, Dad, how many Bitcoin do you have? What? How many Bitcoin? And not realizing that the things I'm passionate about, one of these dad things, that my son now is showing interest in this. Why do you think there is this fascination among the, uh, the younger minds to, to gravitate, not just mommy or daddy, but seems to be more attraction to it than traditional money? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I, I'm not I'm not really sure what's driving it, other than this um, you know, this phenomenon of of social digital connectedness that we have. So we have this you know already this this connectedness to each other as people through the flow of information. And I think again the extension of the flow of money 
um, is just a natural progression there. But I mean, that's, that's funny to hear about your eight-year-old son. I have a 12-year-old son who's the same way. He said, dad, I'm really interested in this, this whole, um, Bitcoin space, this cryptocurrency space. Can you teach me about it? Can you set me up? So I set him up with a, you know, a little, a, a Robinhood account and, you know, put like 25 bucks in it. And um, he idea. bought Ethereum. He's like, dad, you know, and he's been looking at it. He's like, That's dad, this is crazy, man. It goes up and down in yeah. real time. And like, why does it move so much? And, you know, then three days later, he's like, yeah, I, I sold Ethereum when it was up at 186. Um, I was like, you, you did that? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I wanted to lock in some profit. This yeah. kid's like 12 years old. It sounds yeah. like your eight-year-old and him have a lot he's, of time. He's excited. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a world. He, he, he tried to ask me, like, Daddy, explain blockchain. I went, okay, let me try to, you play Minecraft. He goes, yeah, I play Minecraft. I tried to create this world of saying, imagine that there were no restrictions. As long as you could build it, it would be there. So tell me the problem. He goes, well, I want to, I want to have water in the basement. Okay, so you want to dig a really, really deep hole. You want to fill it in. You want to make sure it doesn't, the water can't flow out. Well, blockchain's kind of the, as you find the problem, there seems to be a solution around the corner that young kids will now probably be involved with, or my son and your son's generation, they will be the next of us. How can young people, how can they be, I haven't seen any training programs yet for, for crypto, but when do you see that there will be these programs placed in school? Do you think it will be, within their their generation well they will be learning about this as a new asset class uh yeah definitely definitely i don't know i don't know when but it'll certainly be before you know your son and my son are out of you know high school that that it'll be you know uh, i think more mainstream and i think we're already you know indirectly educating them i mean you said your son plays minecraft my son played minecraft for a while and he played uh, Roblox that, for a while. He's doing that now. now. That's know, he, that's wild. That's what he's in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and think about it. You know, and then and then he's played. Uh, my son has kind of been playing Fortnite a lot, and all of these games yep. have monetization components to them, where you can buy you know stuff inside the game. And so you know what my son has already kind of said and surmised is, wouldn't it be cool? If I could transfer the value from Minecraft to Roblox, and then I can transfer my Ro- Robux, as they're called, to um, you know, to the Minecraft currency, which is called um, V Bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And and get that fungibility across the game, which you which you can't get right now. And that's really, you know, that's a um, you know a a child's version of the exact same thing it's we're trying to thing. do in real time with cross border payments, right? Being able to exchange you know U.S. dollars for Swedish Krona, you know, mm-hmm. to speak to your, your, your wife. Right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. that, I mean, we should be able to, you know, to do that. And so that, that's what I think is driving this is um, this social phenomenon behind cryptocurrencies. All right. So yeah, that's our, our boys are, are very much aligned and you are the innovator. You're out there creating this and being involved in that community to help develop it. So IBM Food Trust, uh, how does that use blockchain technology and where do you see this going? Yeah, so um, so food uh, the uh, food trust solution is another one of the solutions like Worldwire that IBM has um, invested in, not just as a technology uh, a provider, you know, which is I think sort of the historical space where where IBM has um, has existed, but also hey, you know, we're a technology provider, we're an infrastructure provider, but we've um, been contributing and you know adopting this new transformational technology called blockchain, we can actually be part of convening new networks. And so um, one of the use cases, again, one of the, I'll call it non-financial service related use cases uh, of blockchain is this ability um, to track the provenance of, of goods, right? Or, mm-hmm. or what we would call, you know, supply chain, the flow of goods um, as they're moving through some, manufacturing process or in the case of food trust as food is moving um you know not to be cliche but from the farm all the way to the fork that goes into our mouths right yeah. and there and it's it, there's there's value in being able to to trace that because you don't want to put something in your mouth that has expired right it's yeah. going to get you sick or or even worse uh and so i think one of the the other use cases um that that is you know a food trust is convening this network where where farmers um, and and grocers and all points in between on the supply chain of food um, can keep track of 
you know, the this flow of, um, uh, you know, of, 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 you know, food and, and goods and services so that, yeah, so, so that um, we can improve, you know, ultimately – uh, the traceability when something happens and prevent people from getting sick, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the ultimate case. So, so, so do you, you know, again, yeah, there, there, there's... So, Jesse, do, yeah, do you ahead. believe then within, uh, well, let's say with, within the food space, do you think that they are going to benefit most or which industries do you think will benefit most? Well, I mean, coming from banking, you know, having spent 20 years in, in banking, you know, I'm a banker by trade and I think, um, you know, ultimately people pay attention when, when, um, when it hits their wallet. Mm-hmm. So I always think that, you know, if use cases that start out with a, with a financial component become, you know, become mainstream and, and maybe that's a little bit of bias on my part, but, but I do see a definite value in, in this when you hear about, um, you know, about people getting sick from, you know, bad lettuce and then trying to trace that and to know what other stores it went to so you can prevent more people from getting sick. I mean, that, that's really good. So it's hard to say, um, you know, which has the most benefit. I mean, how do you compare, you know, improving the user experience um, and, you know, reducing the cost of being able to send money internationally to being able to save lives, right? Yep. I mean, that's, that, there, there's some, you know, but, but overall, uh, it's, it's all about impacting, you know, human life for the, you know, for the better. Um, and I think both, both of those solutions do that. All right. Well, like you, I do a lot of reading at night, so I'm going to say some names. You don't have to say, you know, them or not, but Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon and countless others over the years have taken a shot at digital assets. Why do you think digital assets get such a, a bad rap? And, and I'll kind of add into the do as I say, not as I do, because the more you dig in, you, you would see that uh, these individuals are also connected uh, to, to companies that are investing in the space. So why does there appear to be this do as I say, not as I do? Is there shame? Is it embarrassment? Is, is it too much explanation for the investors? Why do you think they duck and hide around this? And not just them, but overall. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, those two guys in particular, Buffett and 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 Jamie Dimon, are obviously you know pillars in their respective industries, well-respected guys who have you know built you know huge you know dynasties around um, their ability to understand and distill things and and you know invest in them. And so I I wouldn't say anything um, bad about them. I I know though that. Um, they're coming from a place of, you know, kind of a traditional model. And I think, again, what underpins the cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain is a, a social phenomenon. There's a mm-hmm. component of a social phenomenon that, that, you know, you have to be part of in order to fully, you know, understand and respect. And I think they may have made some statements based on, you know, a, a, the, the surface. The, the facts they had at the time. Oh, Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The facts they had at the time, you know, oh, these assets are not backed by anything therefore they're not real but as time evolves and they start to see again for me it comes back to the utility of what we're doing with these assets not the assets themselves and the fact that they exist in a whole class of themselves they're not really securities they're not really currencies they're not really commodities there's something new being created in it's not just a ponzi scheme starting to come around yeah I think yeah, that's the exactly. challenge. How do you exactly. how do you walk back a comment of it's a pump and dump? I mean, it went up to seventeen and crashed. Well, that's a Ponzi. And what they what the time when I'm sure when they're answering these these questions is that they're not asked, do you think there's utility or, or that there are digital assets that do have utility where it's not just a, a pump and up scheme? So talking about digital assets and, and where the market's going, uh, there's been a, at least recently the that this crypto winner is over. What do you think is, is driving this? And why then do you have another side saying, no, it's not done yet? Well, I, I think what's driving, you know, this latest rally, if you want to call it that, is, um, again, the, the, the investment in the applications that make or expose the utility of what we're talking about here are starting to catch up with the hype or the promise. And so I, I think that's what's driving this, this, you know, latest rally. I also think just to go back to your, your last point about, you know, these, these, these pillars of, of, you know, of conventional um, wisdom, like, like Jamie Dimon um, are saying, well, you know, I didn't really like Bitcoin on the surface, but, but I kind of like this blockchain thing. And now, you know what, as I think about it more, we could use this kind of technology to, you know, transform and even issue our own coin, which they've recently come out, you know, to, to do. And so I think it's a combination of, 
the the progression or the evolution in the thinking of those pillars who started out to be naysayers are now kind of coming around a little bit. And at the same time, all of the, you know, leading edge and bleeding edge people, you know, the the people the the venture capital firms, private equity firms who are investing in all of these startups in the fintech space who are developing applications to be able to use this technology, they're progressing too. And people are just starting to see that there's momentum behind this thing that is not going to go away. And yeah. it's not unlike the the whole evolution of the internet and the dot com boom that came and went. Um, you know, and I, I that was that was at the time I'm fortunate to be able to you know, to be able to see both parts of that, because I was just coming out of college when, when that was all going on. And it, it looks and feels a lot the same. There's a lot of naysayers of big companies. I can remember Jack Welch at, at GE saying this whole internet thing, like, you know, what's the big deal? You know, <laughs> it's crazy. just going to go away. Not, here, right? here's, here's somebody that in I, his I space, close, brilliant. Like I mean, in his world, these are the best minds that there are saying, I don't see it. I don't see what you guys see. Right. And, and, and to his, you know, to his defense, he didn't see it up front, but mm -hmm. he saw it later, right? And there's nothing wrong, you know, with that, with coming around. Well, so I, I, yeah. you know, I think we ought to be a little, a little gracious uh, with with some of these guys because you know um, they're going to be investors in in this stuff too, as you noted. They they already are. I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase is now investing already in. pretty heavily um, and visibly in all of this. Yeah, and it seems like though when we look at digital currency, it was supposed to get us away that that one government could collapse the entire system. Isn't now, if you were to have a digital asset, let's say, either fully backed by even a group of currencies or one fiat, that it digs you back to one of the same problems you have in that in order for this thing to succeed, it must have decentralization that no one, I'm going to say regime, that no one regime could collapse it. So why do why does there still a group that believes it has to be backed by traditional fiat versus those of us more of the let the market decide what it's worth? Well, now I think that's a philosophical component of the debate and the evolution of this thing that is still open. I mean, you you know, I think you and I might have an opinion that, that differs, you know, from Jamie Dimon on that one. I think that still has yet to play itself out. I mean, I guess I would ask the question, what is fiat currency backed by? That's really? right. What I is mean, it? It's not it's not backed by gold anymore. And so, you know, it's these different layers of abstraction that represent you know, you know the the evolution of different generations of thinking about money and mm -hmm. how we think about you know money and about at least in my space and you know obviously there's other use cases. So I think that that still remains to be seen. Um, where I see it playing out in in the crypto space, which I think is pretty cool, is the diversity of you know I'll call it of coins that are out there. And I realize you know coins can be a generic term that represent securities and that represent commodities underneath or that represent you know more pure currencies. But the reality is I think we're going to build um, uh, you know uh, availability and you know kind of fault tolerance, whether it's truly decentralized or not. You know is is somewhat of an ap academic discussion for me. If you have diversity, you have resiliency in my opinion so you know i don't i'm not really sure that in the future you know 50 years from now if everything you know if a big mac in every country that mcdonald's you know operates in is priced in bitcoin versus in you know local the, the local currency and when you're visiting there you've got to do a mental conversion in your head mm -hmm. seems to me a better user experience is just price the darn thing and in one common currency, and it's, it's a lot easier to think about and a lot easier to pay for. Yeah, it, it has uh, that one-world one that, currency approach. Yeah, it, well, exactly. So, but but that all has to you know has to play out, and you know I'm 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 no profit from that standpoint. But I, like you, I do I do kind of pay attention, yeah. and I don't think that debate has has even is anywhere near to to being resolved yet. Oh, that's that's a great explanation. Uh, there are those who are the Bitcoin maximalists and I I take the stance it sounds like you do as well Jesse of the there will be many that survive. There will be many SHIT coins that do not make it because they were never intended to actually work or they just ran out of time and energy and they didn't have the same marketing pro uh, providence to to survive what happened with this uh, with with this bear run or, or the bear trap that happened over the past two years. So going forward, yep. uh, looking at the market as a whole, using utility as being the driving factor, how do people decide? How do you decide? It, when you don't know, do you see the market at some point, Fidelity or a major trading house, giving people advice of what you should invest in or 
when do you think financial advisors will be able to tell their clients, here's what portion of your asset should be in, let's say, a speculative risk, or it may not even be considered speculative at that point, might just be an asset class. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll leave that up to, you know, uh, the, you know, the wealth advisors and, you know, the professionals in, in, in that space. But, but I also think that's just one, you know, maybe even a narrow segment of, of the overall space. I mean, I think that there are going to be, I go back to, you know, the utility piece and there's going to be application developers that are saying, well, you know, we're going to use this technology and this protocol and this blockchain and this, you know, native asset. Um, for this purpose, and the users of their application aren't really going to know or or care, right? It's mm -hmm. just going to work. It's um, all streamless. So you know, but yeah, exactly. So you know, from a um, from an investment standpoint, you know, which of those applications is going to win, um, and that might drive your investment, you know, decisions on how you you know invest in those technology providers and maybe even the underlying you know, crypto assets that those technologies or applications use. Yeah. I mean, I think the investment, you know, uh, community is going to have to figure that out uh, for its clients or, you know, like we have, you know, a big um, contingency of independent investors that are just going to continue to speculate. Um, but that'll, that'll all play out uh, over time. Now that's, that's great explanation. Now I'm going to start with a few questions that the Reddit community has. And we laughed about the name earlier, but I apologize if this is uh, his or her name, Kapatiz, C-O-P-P-A-T-E-E-Z. Uh, first question for you. There's been a lot of debate over IBM Worldwire and Stronghold USD being private, not publicly accessible. Will these onboarding banks and future CBDCs also be doing the same? If so, will that change and how will that affect the network and public institutional users? Right. So, um, yeah, so, so here's, here's my take on, on the public versus private, or maybe it's the publicly accessible versus permissioned. I think there's a lot of terminology that represent different data points on a spectrum that we, you know, we have to really um, think about you know, carefully when we're, when we're answering this question. But, but ultimately, yeah, you know, anybody can come and issue a digital asset on you know, a variety of different blockchains. But if you're going to issue a monetary instrument, at least today, um, you need to be known to um, the regulator in the jurisdiction where you operate as uh, an entity that's doing that kind of activity. And, um, and that's important, right, because that provides um, you know, security to the participants of the network, right? So Jesse could go um, issue you know, a banana coin on Stellar, and you, know, you could go and – um, you know, you'd have to come to me, you'd come to California and you'd say, well, I bought this banana coin, Jesse, you got to deliver them and give me a banana. That's, that's one thing. But, you know, if you're issuing an asset that represents, you know, some concrete or a discrete, you know, monetary um, value, uh, you're required to be regulated by the, the entities that, um, that, uh, that look at those asset classes. And so um, I would love to see, um, you know, a situation where we have um, the regulators participating on this net, on these networks, these types of networks, and um, and you know, it's more of a of an open environment where anybody can issue anything, and the regulators, by way of their participation, you know, know about it. Um, but you know, it's going to take time uh, to to get there, uh, I think. And so, uh, yeah, you could think of it as um, as private, uh, but that's really because. You know, if you don't track the source of, of funds from a monetary uh, value perspective and you don't at least provide an on-ramp into this, you know, I call it permission, not private, you know, subnet of what we're doing, for example, with the IBM blockchain Worldwire, um, then you're really actually violating the principles of, you know, um, anti-money laundering practices if you can't verify the source yeah. of funds. And that's ultimately a bad thing for humanity, right? Because sure. that's how terrorism finance works. That's how, you know, nefarious, um, you know, dr drug finance works. And that's just bad for us, right? So it's kind of like, you know, go with me on this for a while. Um, I, you know, I get it. We want to get rid of, you, you know, like heavy handed regulation and bureaucracy. And I am totally down with that. Um, we, we've got to do that but we can't just throw out the baby with the bathroom. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. The 
the community, uh, like myself out there, we want you to do impossible things. We want to all drive Lambos tomorrow. Uh, we don't want the process to work its way. We want you to be hurry and get it out there. So leading into, it's clear that IBM WW Worldwire uses XLM for transactions and fees. But how many XLM does each bank need to sustain this new payment rail? Also, how are these banks obtaining XLM? Is it a stellar giveaway? Purchasing through exchanges, et cetera? This is still from Capatiz. Yeah, so great questions. Um, so to go with the first one, how much do they need? Well, it depends on, you know, the the, um, the composition of, you know, the average payment, um, you know, size or the, the payment types that they're supporting. So for remittance payments, for example, which is kind of the place that we're starting, which is it tends to be low value payments, um, uh, cro- you know, low value cross-border payments, um, you, you know, the amount of, any digital asset, and by the way, Lumens is, you know, only one that we support, you know, our, our strategy with WorldWire is to support, you know, a growing and open ecosystem, although they do have to be, you know, kind of validated and vetted, but, you know, a growing ecosystem of digital assets that can be used for settlement, not just Lumens. If you think about the velocity of how fast value transfers on a network like this, as compared to conventional, what we would call conventional rails, right? It goes from from days to seconds, what that means is the liquidity provider uh, requirement is a lot is a lot less. So you have to maintain less liquidity because essentially you're you're reusing the liquidity. It's going yeah. to one place, you know, and then you can turn it around and send it to another, as opposed to having to wait three days for for that value to shift back and forth, which is what happens with traditional you know payments and international payments and correspondent banking. So it it depends is the answer, but it's far less than it is today. So there's even, you know, there's, there's liquidity and, you know, kind of balance sheet um, efficiencies that are gained by the participants on the network as a result of this too. That's great. And then let me ask you before we jump into how these banks obtain it is that, do you foresee IBM using, let's say the top five or the top 10 or the top 25 uh, on the, uh, the, the crypto uh, market? Well, that, you know, that, the top 10, you know, tends to change over it time. Does, yeah. Um, we, we, yeah, we use, I mean, you know, and, and, and Bitcoin and, you know, ether tend to be at the, at the top, you know, um, there's, there's a few others up there. We obviously use ether. Uh, I mean, um, uh, uh, XLM uh, lumens because it's the native asset of the underlying distributed ledger technology or protocol that we're using to manage the, the ledger of, of WorldWire. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a freebie. It's an automatic, meaning that, you know, it's, it's, it's um, automatically integrated with the network. Um, but yeah, we, it's driven by client demand. Now yeah, that's going to be XRP then regulated. I, yeah, we're, we're hardcore fans. You yeah, know that, well, right? It, well, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, you know, we will support what our clients um, demand to, to be honest. And our, our clients on WorldWire are regulated, financial services institutions. It, it can be banks and non-banks, non-banks meaning like fintechs or registered money service businesses, money transfer operators, um, whatever they want to use as a settlement instrument, we will integrate, you know, with the network, which is why we started with, you know, with Stronghold um, because they were, I think the first uh, to issue a, a U.S. dollar equivalent um, that's compatible with the Stellar protocol, right? So that's yep. why we we partnered with them. It made sense. We're in the process of building out this whole this whole ecosystem. So heck yeah, we'll we'll support. That's cool. Um, whatever the participants want want to support. That's um, why I love the fact IBM yeah, is supporting the, the community. It, well, yeah, I mean, and that you got to listen to your to your clients, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's the 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 first rule. That's the rule number one. So can you explain uh, how uh, Tradalens, Hyperledger, IBM Worldwire, and IBM Food Trust all work together? And is it true that XLM will be used as uh, somehow within these entities, or will there be a mix amount of different currencies that will be used by these entities? Right. So um, there's a couple things there. So um, so Tradelens, um, Food Trust, Worldwire are kind of the three flagship um, blockchain solutions that IBM has invested in, has been developing over time as part of its overall blockchain portfolio, right, which also includes, um, you know, technology and, and infrastructure, the IBM blockchain platform software, um, uh, you know, a whole range of slur- services. So we have kind of a, a top to bottom, you know, stack, a value, value stack. 
Um, but uh, these solutions sit, you know, kind of higher in the stack that are built on all of these other things. The idea um, and the strategy, and remember, IBM's only been at this for, you know, like two years. That's crazy, so we, by we the just, way. You guys we, seem we, to be like we, so far behind it, you're so far ahead. How'd you do that? Right. Well, I mean, you know, if you think about it, blockchain has only enterprise blockchain, right? And, you know, kind of the blockchain for the mainstream has really, really, truly only been around for at most three years, right? I mean, it started and then it became a, a, a formal kind of business unit operating entity within IBM, you know, two and a half years ago. So it, it really is just starting. But the idea is that we're focusing on these use cases that we talked about before, um, the, the flow of you know tracking and facilitating the more efficient flow of goods, the more efficient flow of information, and the more efficient flow of value. And if you look at these three solutions that we have, they're really aligned to those three things, right? So they're kind of higher level in the conceptual yep. stack. We've obviously got a whole range of enabling technologies and services underneath that. But if we look at the practical application of those technologies, those three things are there, the flow of goods, the flow of information, the flow of value. And Worldwire is, you know, that, that that solution that's focused on the flow of value. So, yeah, our strategy and our roadmap over time is to integrate these things so that um, the flow of value or the, the ability to transfer value within these other networks can be integrated by the same solution. That's definitely part of our strategy and our strategic roadmap. Is it there yet? Um, not yet. We're working on it. But, um, you know, so will it be XLM? Could be, yeah, or it could be, you know, a stable coin that a bank who participates on one of these networks decides or negotiates with um, the other participants of the networks that they're going to provide or multiple, you know, stable coins that allows, you know, different participants in different parts of the world to say, I'm going to settle on, you know, on U.S. dollars or I'm going to settle on euros or I'm going to settle in, you know, you name it, Japanese yen or, or whatever. And Worldwire provides that flexibility to be able to support that and and so that's our you know kind of that's our strategy going forward so trade lens is really focused on the flow of information um for um trade related activities that you know um a food trust is really focused on the the flow of goods um and worldwide is really focused on the flow of um of value that's fascinating it sounds to me that it's not a you're making it up as you go but you don't really have a benchmark to other the benchmark against yourselves of so in the business community that's listening in, Jesse, how do you do something that's never been done? And, and we always say that you don't create more followers, you create more leaders. So internally with your team, you've got a lot of smart people working with you. How do you set goals that are realistic when you want to follow competition, but you have no competition? So how do you manage that with the, with the press, the, the comments, the, the reddits, and your own? You're getting excited about the industry yourself. Like, how do you manage all this? Well, I, part of it comes down. Um, part of it comes down to culture, and I'll, I'll say this: um, you know, IBM's. Uh, you know, it's an old company. It's been around 108 years. Um, but the way that the the exec, the, the senior executive leadership team has um, looked at this, um, you know, blockchain um, focus is to really allow it to run like a startup. And I think that's so important because if you create the culture of a startup, which is really what it feels like, it feels like a startup that's happening inside of a big company. Now, obviously, there's there's processes that, that need to be followed. But to, to try and minimize that um, while still, you know, adhering to the core, you know, whatever risk profiles of, you know, a big 108-year-old company that they have to do, um, most of it comes from the creation of a culture that is conducive to, you know, working and running like a startup. And then that attracts a whole bunch of different kinds of people. I mean, look at me, I came out of banking to go work for IBM, who would have thought, you know, five yeah. years ago. Um, and you combine that with what IBM's already got, um, their legacy in, in, you know, service delivery in 170 countries around the world, their legacy in, in technology, you know, innovation from, you know, mainframes to, you know, um, to quantum computing, right? Uh, and and then IBM Research. I mean, it's just a dream for someone like me to be able to come here and look at all of the resources that we have, and then to be given this gift of, hey, run this like a startup. Be yeah. nimble, be agile. You're going to have to make changes, like you said, to changes in the industry. 
um, it's it's really the only the only way to do it, and that's the cool part about all of this. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's we've got it this, sounds like a lot of fun, but it, it also has a lot of accountability. Hey, I, it, it does, and, and and it's you know I guess I'm the kind of leader, and the group that that I've been building is one that emphasizes, um, you know, the the fun part of it. I mean, um, happy smart people are productive smart people, and we've been making just a ton yeah, that's of a, a ton of progress. That's a great and, culture. Long road ahead. Well, I, I yeah. think from from my side, and we were talking uh, with Molly a little bit earlier on uh, on your team, and the world always wants to know where things are going, and and I want my Lambo, and I, I want it now. Progress takes time. You look at your own story, your own cookbook. You came from the banking sector, but before that, uh, you were in uh, a theological university. And looking at the transition now of where you are and the legacy that IBM has, I look at your own legacy. What do you want your legacy to be as your son? One day when he's my age, I'm 35, when he's my age and he looks at his dad, what do you want to leave behind? Well, first and foremost, I, I want him to embrace um, Ferrari over Lambo. Because, <laughs> Ferrari, you know, that's my brain, got, by the way. I got a Ferrari I, I in there. Got, I, just, I, just gotta, I just have to say that. No, I'm a big <laughs> Formula One fan. So let me All just right, say that. that's but, good. I like it. Um, Ferrari uh, over Lambo. Right, right. So, no, but but in all seriousness, I, I think um, very – very infrequently do we have the opportunity to participate in something, you know, at, at its foundational or, or groundbreaking level that has such a potential to reach, you know, so many people. And I think we who live in, in the USA, we're, you know, in, 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 as, a, as a general, you know, category of people in the world, we're very fortunate. Um, you know, we're, we take it for we granted, live, you know, yeah, we, we do, unfortunately. And, you know, as, as the father of kids, we're trying, at least I, yeah, I and I suspect you are trying to instill values um, and also expose our children and future generations to the fact that, you know, there are billions of people in the world, most of them children, who, who literally live below the poverty line. Right. Well, that means like they live on less than three dollars a day. Can yeah. you even fathom that? I mean, it you shouldn't be happening more than three bucks on coffee. This yeah. Morning. Well, right. And, and so here we are at, at you know, um, being able to participate in something that has tangible and and, you know, um, tangible connectivity to 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 a group of people who right now we almost can't even relate to. Right. The, the unbanked, as we call them, and this whole yeah. notion of financial inclusion. So I would love my legacy to be able it, even if the, even if I you know, I'm not famous for, you know, creating anything other than to say I can point back and say, hey, I, you know, I participated in this thing, you know, son, that you now use that you don't even think about it. But in the old days, we used to paper things with these really weird green paper things, you know, and we don't do that anymore. But guess what? You know, when you hear about somebody who is in need in, I don't know, you know, pick an emerging economy in Africa or something yeah. like that, you can transfer value to them that they can spend immately from your phone it's life-changing right i mean that yeah it is you're, it really is. you're, so you're that, solving problems the, true problems the human yeah the human component to this i think is what is what's really exciting from a legacy that's amazing and i hear the way you say it you have you have something that unfortunately a lot of people in the world have almost become anesthetized to or desensitized to and that is having empathy having empathy for others that haven't been as privileged as you were. So I sat on a board called the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. It's one of the largest uh, refugee and settlement agencies in the United States. And before I joined the board, I had the typical response of, hey, look, why throw them back or, or kick them back over? And well, why? Because the media had told me, well, they're all bad people. These are all villains. And as I dug in, I went, well, kind of like earlier with Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett, that the more facts I had saying, you're telling me they're not all bad people? You're, you're telling me that many of them have literally spent every dollar and owe other people money and traveled a thousand and two thousand miles to to live here? Yeah. You're kidding me. These are the most resilient people on the planet. We don't want them to live here. These are the these are the workers, these are the theologians, these are the doctors and the scientists. These are those that'll find the future cures for the things that just are gonna kill you and kill me. Why would you not want the most resilient yeah. of us here? And and it starts with empathy of the the fact that IBM has this empathy for for those children. There's 430,000 children just in the United States alone today that are in foster care. And I told you guys a little bit earlier about my story. And for me, 1987 and 1988, I lived in a foster care. In this case, it really wasn't. It was an orphanage called Casa de Ampara. 
Uh, Michael Loeb, uh, founder, co-founder of Priceline.com, also Synapse, uh, was on last week, and he made an announcement on the show that his house, I'm sure you've seen it on the TV show Billions, uh, he is going to be donating his house for a weekend uh, at an upcoming gala fundraiser uh, at Casa de Ampara in November. Details will be on lifestuff.com. Uh, we're raising money for, for these children that, for no fault of their own, where they're born into a country where $3 a day, that barely feeds their stomachs. So it's giving back, and I find that the crypto community is one of, they're looking for other ways to, to give back. Uh, it seems to be this empathy, this community that realizes there are problems, but there are, there are solutions. So two more questions for you. I know I've taken my 45 minutes, and this is going to come from another one of these really cool names, Jesse. Uh, and quick visks, uh, E-N-Q-V-I-S-T-X. As it is, none of the assets issued in WorldWire are available to any other companies, users, entities on the network other than WorldWire clients. The tokens are restricted by the authorization-required flag into the constraints of an IBM walled garden. Therefore, sadly, nobody in the Stellar ecosystem benefits from WorldWire other than it being a nice poster child and giving the network credibility. With that in mind, do you have a plan or idea or roadmap to transition WorldWire into a more open system? And how likely is it that we're going to see WorldWire assets, fiat currency tokens, CBDC tokens, float freely and without segmentation by artificial boundaries on the network in the future? I did a pretty good job reading that. That was a long one. You, you did. You did. That's, that's a long one. And, and multiple parts to that one. So, you know, to the latter part of, how, you know, how likely is it that we'll see, you know, kind of WorldWire-issued um, assets, um, you know, in, in the future, I think, I think very likely that that's the that's kind of the whole point of this now. But to get back to the first part of that question, this this concept of, you know, of a walled garden, um, you're, you know, the 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 person issuing the question is is, is right in a way. Um, and, and, it, and it goes back to what we had talked about earlier about um, being able to you know identify the source of value that moves into the network. We, we have to guard against that because it's to the benefit of the participants. All participants on 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 Stellar, let alone on Worldwire, to be able to do that, right? And there has to be, you know, some, you know, you know, um, intermediary, as few as intermediaries as possible, pro, you know, providing that. I, I think. Um, but here's the thing, you know, it's free to join Worldwire, right? Well, we don't charge anything to join it. Um, so, you know, anybody can join it. So why not join and be a part of it and take advantage of? that ecosystem of digital assets, right? I mean, what, rather than standing out outside of the, the walled garden, it's kind of like, come on in, come on in, um, and, and join, join the party. Right. And, you know, and, and now there are some you know, minimum criteria right now, again, you know, um, you know, re regulators in, in all of these different countries that we're providing, trying to provide endpoints to, you know, have some rules, but again, as the regulators get more comfortable, as they start to come in, as they see that, that, that there's an improvement in transparency. There's an improvement in user experience and, and cost and the ultimate benefactors, at least in our initial use case and market segmentation around, um, you know, the noble mission of the migrant worker and, and, and rem cross-border remittances, they're going to be supportive of this notion of be more open, be more transparent. That's what we're about. So we're not, you know, preaching one thing and doing another, we're just on this progression to go there. But, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is, right? It does not cost anything to join WorldWire, right? And that's, you know, something that should be resoundingly heard. Yeah, um, that, that's a big we're one. We're trying to sell I, you a piece of software. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you guys are just handing it off and saying, all right, it's on you now, that you're actively um, you're actually integrating and you're not charging them to do so, but you have rules and written restrictions. Uh, so this is back yeah. to a personal question. You've come a long way in your life. I always like to know who's the toughest person you know? Who got you here? Who was your, I didn't want to let him down or I didn't want to let her down. Who would that be in Jesse's world? Wow. For, well, for me, first and foremost, it would, it would be my wife. And I'm not just saying that because I think she might listen in, although <laughs> yeah. she might, yeah. um, but, but she is, she's an inspiration uh, to, to me. And, and uh, so, um, you know, and, and she sees things uh, very clearly. I, you know, I tend to, want to make, you know, everybody happy. And, you know, she is um, uh, one who sees kind of the right thing to do right up front. And for me, it takes a while to get around to that. So she's been an anchor for me in that respect. And then I'm, I've been lucky in, in my career. I mean, I worked, I spent a lot of time, you know, 18 years um, at, at Wells Fargo. Before that, I had, you know, a few years, you know, out of college in, in entrepreneurial settings. Um, and I just had some really, 
some really good mentors over the years. Um, and Wells Fargo was an amazing place to work. And there's a couple of bosses there that I look back on that, you know, when I first started working for them, I, I hated them. Um, they, they were so hard to work for, but then in hindsight, they really instilled, um, a, you know, a sense of, of responsibility in me. I think it bears mention one guy that falls into that, you know, I'm not sure if he'll ever listen to this. I think he's still at Wells Fargo, but his name is, Jeffrey Klein. Jeff Klein was the hardest guy to work for. Yeah. He was a tough one, huh? In Minneapolis. Tough one. And I look back (laughs) in history and he was the the best boss I I ever had in the history. He gave me so much, um, you know, in terms of of discipline and uh, uh, just, you know, a sense of of, uh, how to do right. He knew you could give more. Yeah. He looked at you and said, I want more for you than you want for yourself, Jesse. I, I see greatness in you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mentioned his name, not to zero him out. Uh, yeah, it's but, Jeffrey you know, Klein, he, he, Minneapolis. He's one of the best ones. That's one of really the best. cool. I think he's still around. I don't think he's retired yet. I hope not, but I know he's doing good things. Well, I'll, I'll find him. And then uh, as I send you off, I know we're not making any big announcements today, but if and when you do, I would love to come see your office and meet your team and maybe be one of the people gets to tell that big announcement. So I hope you guys can, can think that over for me. Well, we definitely will, and that, the office will either be in Southern California and it'll be in Singapore, which is our two primary operating locations, so uh, we'll have to pick one. But, yeah, we will keep that in mind, Very and cool. there's always new stuff coming. All right, any final thoughts, uh, Jesse, before I let you go? No, but, Justin, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed being able to kind of connect, um, you know, the, the fabric of, of, of work with, you know, kind of social good and, and uh, you know, personal um, – uh, ambition and, and legacy. So I, I think what you're doing here on this podcast is really cool. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Well, thanks. And remember, everybody, life's tough, but Jesse's wife is tougher. Thanks again for joining <laughs> us, Jesse. All right. Take care. Thanks, Dustin. All right. See ya. I'd like to again thank Jesse Lund for joining us today. Jesse's insight into cryptocurrency and into the world of leadership brings such an insight. I've been passionate about the world of digital assets now for going on about seven years. Being able to talk to Jesse, bringing additional clarity into where things are going. And for also for me to be able to see that Jesse Lund is just like us. He's a man with a purpose, a man with a mission, a man that wants to bring a legacy, not just to his children, but to the children around the world. That while life's tough, you can be tougher, but it takes a village. We'd like to again thank our newest sponsor, Cloud Ivis. You may know that companies have long struggled to deliver IT applications and services efficiently. Many are deciding to use the cloud to solve these challenges. Unfortunately, many of today's leading cloud providers are just enriching themselves, while their customers are only getting bad cases of buyer's remorse. Now it's time to reimagine the cloud with Cloud Ivis the platform that enables you to own the cloud and sell off your idle resources through a unique blockchain marketplace, exchange, and community portal. We call it the People's Cloud. Own your environment and never lose control again. Start your free trial today by visiting www.cloudivus.com. That's www.cloudivus.com. Life's tough, but the cloud doesn't have to be. It's been terrific to have this fascinating conversation with our special guest, Jesse Lund, Vice President for Blockchain and Digital Currencies at IBM. So that wraps up our show for this evening. Thank you again, Jesse, for making this another outstanding episode for our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant and fastest growing shows around. Also, a special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough cheap writer and my Sherpa. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. Each time I hear someone's personal account, I do not frame it as something that was more horrible than my own story or something that was not as bad as what I went through. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. To the person who lived it, that story is just as devastating as any other. I ask you to use your story to give others hope. It's quite liberating to move beyond your past. Don't keep your story to yourself and allow it to eat away at you. Instead, consider how your experience can benefit somebody else. Your story may be just what it takes to help someone in your circle or in our community to get through a tipping point moment. An instance when that person either chooses to continue to be a victim 
or when that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show. Visit lifestough.com, L-I-F-E-S-T-O-U-G-H.com. And be sure to join us every week, same time, same place, for a stimulating hour of heartfelt discussions. Remember, everyone has a story. Thank you for listening and have a great week. So for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Planelt signing off. Remember, life's tough, but Jesse Lund's wife is tougher. Take care, everybody.